Well, as the man in the overcoat and brown hat walked forward, the horrible memories came flooding back. The man looked different now, though, without his visored cap with its unforgettable skull and crossbones emblazoned on it. But she knew this was him. The man responsible for cruelty to her for many years. Corey Ten Boom tells the story of coming face to face with her once captor for five years after her release from a concentration camp in, in, uh, in Ravensbrück. The freed Dutch woman who was captured for keeping safe haven for Dutch Jews in the early 40s was now back many years later in defeated Germany telling of God's real forgiveness. And as the old guard approached her, the visceral response continued in Corey. And then the moment happened. He spoke. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Now that's just a German term of endearment. His hand came out. Will you forgive me? Now I don't know about you. That is a staggering question to ask someone, given those circumstances. And you'll likely never spend any of your life in a concentration camp. But I guarantee you, you know the pain that comes from relational hurt. Think of your roommate. Perhaps it's a story about how that relationship has frayed through the years. Think about a relationship with your parents. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend that's hurt you and has fallen off the map as they leave you without any explanation. See, it doesn't really matter what the situation is. All of us know what it's like to experience the hurt that comes from relationship. And we typically tend to deal with that hurt in one of two ways. One of them, that's what I like to call the way of Ricky Bobby. The way of Ricky Bobby. Y'all know that, that, that movie that should have won an Oscar, Talladega Nights. And you remember the conversation that happened between Ricky, the chief driver, and his sidekick, Cal Naughton Jr. And they're having beers together in a bar, and Cal is wanting to win, win a race. He wants to win the race, and so here's how the conversation goes. Do you remember it? He says this. Cal says, you know, I was thinking uh, the one time um, it would be really nice if, if maybe you could slingshot me in. And Ricky says, yeah, but okay, I mean, if you won, how am I going to win? Cal says, yeah, yeah. And Ricky says, think about it. He says, no, I was thinking about it. I mean, Ricky says, it's not like you were finishing 18th. And then Cal says, nothing wrong with silver. And then, Cal, then Ricky says, nothing wrong with silver at all. Then Cal says this, here it is. I'm just kidding you, man. I don't want to win. I'll just bury it down deep. And Ricky says, yep, bury it down deep in there and don't bring it up again. Cal says, it's painful. But I'm burying it down. And some of y'all know what that's like. Just take the rug, lift it up, and sweep the pain under. But here's the second way. It's the way of calling it, passing it down the line, right? 
passing it forward, paying it back, revenge, an eye for an eye, so to speak. This was the story of my high school football, uh, the, the football team at my high school back when I was in high school. The, the, the rival school that we were at would, would come over and we would basically like we just vandalize each other's property, which is, you know, I'm sure is an, a crime of some way. But one year they came over and spray painted our school buses with their letters in their colors on the bus. And not to be outdone, the next year, on about the Tuesday night before the football game that week, some students went over to the football field of this team and poured in the middle of the field with grass killer the letters of our football team. And nobody knew anything until the night of the football game where there was brown dead grass with our letters in the middle of the field. That's the way of paying it forward. But I want to suggest to you tonight that there's a third way. That Jesus in this text is showing us a better way than burying it, than passing forward and paying it forward the relational pain. And here it is. It's the way of forgiveness. The way of forgiveness. You see, forgiveness really is the pressure release valve for all of your relationships. So much so that I'm going to make a bold claim tonight and tell you this. That if you do not have forgiveness in your relationships, no matter what that relationship is, it won't last. It can't last. Why? Because we're sinners. Because we really hurt each other. Because we really do get passive aggressive. We actually get actively aggressive too. And we hurt each other. And so tonight in this text, Jesus is going to show us three things about forgiveness. First, He's going to show us what it is. Secondly, He's going to show us how we get it. And then thirdly, how we know we have come into it. Or how we know we've got it. So what it is, how we get it, and how you know you've gotten it. And here's my hope for you tonight. That you would see beyond a shadow of a doubt the real forgiveness that God in His grace extends to you such that grace coming to you might go through you to be able to heal the fractured relationships in your life. That's my hope for you tonight. Let's take a look first at this first point here. That is, what it is, or what is it? Now I'm looking primarily at verses 21, 27, 32, and 35 on your sheet there. But this is all just a way for me to kind of help move this, uh, to draw your eyes back to the text. We take that very seriously. We want... We want you to be well acquainted with your Bibles. But let's take a look, first of all, what's going on in this text. Peter comes to Jesus. The Apostle Peter comes to Jesus and says, essentially, how many times should I forgive someone? And he says, seven times? Now, the thing is with that, that story, though, is, is that Peter is actually being very generous because the rabbinic tradition of the time would have said three times. So, so Peter's like, hey... I'm doubling it and I'm adding one. Is that how many times we got to be that way? And God and Jesus looks at him and says, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven times. That's how generous I want you to be in extending forgiveness to people. And then he proceeds to tell a story and it involves three people. It involves the master or the, the Lord and then it involves two primary servants. I'll call servant one and servant two. And here's what happens. The text tells us that the servant, servant one, is owed, owes his master an exorbitant amount of money. We'll take a look at that in a moment. But the time has come for basically the master to settle all those accounts. It's like pay up. 
Give me what's, give me what's owed me. And he finds out that this first servant owes him 10,000 talents. Now, for context, because we don't have talents anymore. For context, one talent was about 20 years wages. One talent was 20 years wages. So what you have in this is about 200, you know, two, it, it, I, my math is off right now in this. That's why I'm a ministry and not a mathematician. But the point is, is that the, I, the, the, the amount of years of worth that this, that this man was owed, this wealth that was owed is exorbitant. And it's meant to be like that. And what happens? The master says, throw him in jail. If he can't pay, throw him in jail. But then what happens? The man comes and he begs. And he says, I promise you, I'll pay it all back. The text says that then that the man had compassion on him and he forgave the debt. And then that man, that first servant, goes on about his way and he meets somebody that owes him a few hundred denarii, which would be basically like a couple of, day, a couple of months wages. Okay, so that's kind of our modern equivalent. But he himself won't uh, forgive that debt. And instead he throws him in. It says he chokes him by the throat and he throws him in jail and he says... Pay it up, and until you do, this is where you will stay. What we begin to see as it unfolds, right, that the picture is one of what? Very simply, the salient point comes to us in verse, um, in verse 33 there. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And this is telling us something profound, y'all, about the very nature and the very, the very picture of what forgiveness is itself. You see, the point is, is this. The point is, is that forgiveness really is about releasing debts. It's about releasing debts. It is somebody owing you something, having something that they rightly owe you, or they've taken from you, and then forgiving that, and letting that go, as it were. The the Greek word for forgive literally means to let go, to loose, to open up and to let go out. That is the picture there. And here's the point is, is that it make it, the offender doesn't pay. The offender doesn't pay. And when we begin to talk about that way, our, our, all of our senses of justice begin to get stirred up in us. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But for now, here's what I want you to understand about forgiveness itself. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not about venting about getting your due from somebody. And it most certainly isn't about the way of Ricky Bobby, of burying it or passing it on. No, here it is. The text is showing us that forgiveness names a real offense. The man had a real debt that is named, that is real. It's not swept under the rug. But do you see what the master does? He doesn't make him pay. The offender doesn't pay, and that's what forgiveness is. In other words, I want you to think about it like this. Several years ago, when one of my children were, was smaller, they accidentally broke a pair of my sunglasses. Okay, Now, in order for me to get those sunglasses back, several things had to happen. Either I could make my daughter, who was two years old, go out and buy me a new pair with somehow money that she did not have? Or what? Or I was going to have to live without, or I was going to have to go purchase them myself. Either way, I'm the one that pays the cost. Do you see that? And that's what lies at the very heart 
of forgiveness. Forgiveness, therefore, is always, always about incurring a debt. It's about assuming the guilt. And it means that here it is, forgiveness is always costly to the offended. To the offended. You see, to be forgiven, forgiveness in this moment here is that the old that the, the Lord, the overlord, incurs the debt. He writes it off, he wipes it away. And that's what this text is wanting to show you. Now, look, I'm just going to drive this in with a few points of application. One of the reasons that many of us find forgiveness so incredibly hard is because for you to forgive somebody, I'm going to suggest this, that you really, really must become a person of sorrow. Y'all know what I mean by that? That for you to be able to forgive someone means that you must become a person of sorrow. It means that you will enter in, like we sang tonight, into lament about the injustice or wrong that was done against you. You see, there's a difference. There's a difference between wiping something under the rug and actually grieving that it happened to you. Or grieving that it occurred to you. And actually being sad about it. But most of us will learn this. Don't be sad in life. Don't be sorrowful. That's to display weakness. But I would like to suggest to you that to be a forgiving person means that you are well acquainted with sorrow. And you know who else was? Jesus Himself. He was actually called a man of sorrows. Why? Because He knew what it was like. He knew what it was like to take on the debt. To take on the offense that you and that me had brought upon Him. I love what one author, writer, speaker, John Cox puts it. He puts it this way. Sorrow metabolizes hurt into something sweet. I would love for you to begin to believe that tonight and to think about it. Now some of you are asking this. Wait a second. Do you mean that I should just forgive somebody even if they don't ask me for forgiveness? Even if they don't say we're sorry? And I want to suggest to you this. Are you ready? Yes. Why? Because the Scriptures tell us to live that way. Some of you go, how in the world could I do that? And I want to remind you, did you ask Jesus to forgive you before He showed His grace and kindness to you? Not if you know your theology and your Bible. Because Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, it's the Lord's kindness that leads to repentance. That the primary thing, the thing that comes first, is always a display of grace. And then there's a response out to that. It's never that you clean yourself up. It's never that you're sorrowful enough. It's never that, you're, you, that you sort of walk through the mud enough and then you finally show Jesus how serious you are and then He finally forgives you. You think I'm lying? That leads me to my second point. Let's take a look at the second point here, what I mean of how you get it. How do you know, how does it come to us? Well, the text tells us very, very clearly here how it comes to us. Did you catch it there? The servant in this, in this text tries to go back to the man and he's begging him and he says what? Now think about this. He says, all that I owe, I'm going to pay you back. Here's the quick math on that. If he made, right, if his, if his wages were a liberal $100,000 a year, the debt that he owed was two, sorry, it was $20 billion. He owed 20 B, 
Okay? And here he is saying, I'm going to pay it all back. Ludicrous. And it's meant to be silly. Why? Because of this. Because we think, we think that we can come to God and say, I'll pay it all back. I'll pay it all back. Whatever the debt is, I promise I'll give it all back and I'll make things right. And what that is, is it's an underestimation of the debt and an overestimation of our ability to pay it back. You see, it's an overestimate, an underestimation of how great the debt is. And it's an overestimation of our ability to pay it back. And this exposes the silliness, y'all, of trying to earn our forgiveness with God. And yet we do it. How? How do we try to do this? We try to pay off our debt. How do you do it? It looks like this. Ready? We typically think of it like this. If I finally start, stop doing the bad things, and if I just start doing the good things, I'll begin to chisel away at that debt. You see, maybe if I'm the most tolerant of people, maybe if I'm the most inclusive of people, I'll whittle away and chisel away a little bit at that debt. And the idea here is this. No. Forgiveness cannot be earned. Do you know that? Forgiveness cannot be earned. Why do we know this? Look at the text. I'm going to show you this. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now that pity there is not a scornful, you know, pity. No, it's the language in the Greek is this language of being moved in the depths of one's being, being moved in the stomach, in the bowels, in the gut, out of compassion for somebody. If you've ever read The Prodigal Son, it's the feeling, it's the emotional state that the father has when the prodigal son, the younger brother, comes home and he runs out to the son and he weeps him over him and he kisses him because he's so glad to have his son back. And this means something for you tonight. Two things. One, you cannot earn your forgiveness. No matter how good you are, no matter how much you try to undo your bad, you cannot earn your forgiveness. It comes one way, out of mercy. But here's the second thing that might move you even more. Do you know that if you are in Jesus... And if you are not, I want you to see something. That your sin is something that moves God to be compassionate. And most of us don't think of it that way. Most of the people in this room think that God looks at my sin and He hates me. And what the Bible is telling us that it is our brokenness, it is our sinfulness that actually moves all of God into action to do something about it. So, that night, that morning, next morning where you woke up and you didn't know whose bed you were in, the all-night rager, the tongue that you can't seem to control with gossip and slander of your friends, the actual hurt that you cause in your relationship that moves Jesus into compassion. That's what He's telling us. And it's the only way that forgiveness has ever had. That's profoundly good news for you and for me tonight. 
The thing I want you to see, y'all, is that this is grace, and this is grace to us. Listen to what the singer-songwriter Bono from U2 writes. He says this, Karma says, what goes around comes around. What you dish out, you receive. But grace, grace comes along and messes with all of that. It gives you what you don't deserve. That's beautiful, y'all. That's the great hope. This man got what he didn't deserve, and that is full forgiveness in him. Full forgiveness. I just want to say this. This will mess with you if you're one of two types of people. First, if you're a religious person, it'll mess and jack with you because it means this, that all of your good works don't count for jack squat. That all your niceties, all the Bible studies you've been going to, all the people you've been trying to share your faith with, all of that stuff that's really, really good, it doesn't spend with God. It's like going to a foreign country and pulling out your American dollars and having the cashier say what? Your money is no good here. And what this is telling us is that your good works trusting in, if you bring them before God and try to start paying with them, Jesus is going to look at you and say, your money is no good here. It must be because of me. It must be because of my mercy to you. That's how the debt gets canceled. Secondly, it means this. It means this for folks who think that grace is easy, that it's cheap. It shows us this. No, there actually is a real debt. And somebody's got to actually do something about it. And so to think that it's just easy for God to forgive and it doesn't cost Him anything, I hope to show you by the end of the night that that's not the case at all. We're going to see that. But thirdly, for gospel-centered people, here's the hope. Here's what this tells us. Here it is, ready? And we say this all the time in RUF. It's this, that you're never so bad. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace and that you're never so good that you don't need it. And when you hold those two things together, you're beginning to understand something about the mercy and kindness and the compassion that comes to us in the person of Jesus. So, what is it? What is forgiveness? Secondly, how do you get it? And now thirdly, this third picture, frankly, of how do you know that you have received it? And it's found here in the very end of our story in verses 32 through 35. Take a look with me there. You might have caught it. It says this. Then his master summoned him. That is, the, the master is serving the, the, the first servant. And he said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all the debt because you pleaded with me. In verse 33, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And the answer to that rhetorical question is yes. You should have. That's how mercy works. And the picture is very, very simple. Here it is. How do you know that you have received mercy? Here it is. If mercy has come to you, mercy and forgiveness will go through you. In short, it's like this. Forgiven people forgive people. That's how this works. Take a look at the text here. You see, the man was legally right in that in what he was doing by asking the other servant to pay him back. Like, those were his legal rights. And you see, he understood something about the mercy of that overlord, but it didn't get down in him. Do you see that? It didn't change him. It didn't go all the way down to the motivating principle of his heart, of his life. 
He was giving um, mental assent to it, much like we do. Oh yeah, I believe in the forgiveness of God, but I'm going to be a biah to my roommate. Oh yeah, I believe that God is kind and compassionate, but I'm going to treat people hatefully. Oh yeah, I believe that God is generous, but I'm going to hold grudges against people who don't look and think and feel the way I do. And what this is going to tell us, it's a sobering cold splash of water in our face, is that if mercy comes through to us, it goes through us. Said otherwise, one of the ways that you know you've apprehended and comprehended the mercy of God in your life is now your life is what? Marked by a generosity of mercy. Marked by a generosity of forgiveness. And friends, it's right there that I think that you're going to begin to see the real picture of why this is so critical for our relationships. You see, how are you going to find the hope that's necessary to be able to mend what has been fractured with your roommate? How can you find the hope that's going to be able to mend relationship with your significant other? The gospel is going to tell us it comes through the power of forgiveness. Let me illustrate a profoundly powerful story. Many of you will not remember the name Gary Ridgway, unless you're from the Pacific Northwest, and then you might. He was known in the 90s and 80s as the Green River Killer. And he was the most prolific sort of, um, you know, what, what's the serial killer in the United States history? 48 uh, convicted, 48 convicted deaths of women. And during his trial, the families of these individuals were allowed to walk in front of Gary and basically vent at him for the loss of life that he had taken. For their loved ones gone. They just spilled it out on him. Until one man, a man named Robert Rule, stands up and says the following. Mr. Ridgway, you have made it hard for me to do what God tells me to do. Mr. Ridgway, I forgive you. I forgive you. And in that moment, Gary Ridgway lost it, broke down the courtroom because he had tasted mercy. But how did Robert get to do that? How was he able to do that? Because he knew of the gospel to him. Because he knew deep down in his bones what Ridgway had done to his loved ones. His offenses and his sin against God was far, far worse. Far, far worse. And the picture is, is once mercy has come to me underneath those conditions, that I am now able to extend mercy and extend forgiveness to others in my life because of that same mercy that has come to me as well. You know, I'd like to share another story with you. I'd like to share a story how this actually works in real relationships. One of the things that I went through when I was in college was a breakup, believe it or not. And I was dating this girl, and she dropped me like a ton of bricks, okay? Out of nowhere, I got a phone call one day, no text back then. No, I didn't even get the courtesy of a phone call, actually, now that I'm remembering it. I just didn't know that she didn't want to go out with me anymore. It was harsh. It was brutal. It took seven months 
for me to see her again. Not because I didn't want to see her, but I was at a party one night in college my senior year. This was in November. It happened back in April. And I see her across the room. And like my heart begins to pound and my palms are getting sweaty. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do in this moment? And she walks right up to me. And she says this, Ryan, will you please forgive me? I treated you really poorly. But over the summer, God came into my life. He's been showing me some things that I've done to people. And I'm trying to go around and say I'm sorry and make amends where I can. You see what she was able to do? She experienced real forgiveness. And then she was able to actually extend it. She was actually able to extend it and also ask me for it. That is profoundly powerful about what the gospel does in your life when it goes there and gets in there. And here's the picture where I want to land the plane for you all tonight. I want you to see what forgiveness does. And so we go back. The prison guard's hand remained outstretched. Fraulein, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed. I prayed silently. I could lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did this, an incredible thing began to happen. Healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all of my heart. I forgive you. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, and listen to this last sentence. She says, I had never known God's love to me so intensely as I did then. How can you know that this forgiveness is on offer for you tonight? Because the one telling this parable would later go to the cross and would pay for the debt that you and I owe. That He would be the one that would take the sin and the debt, making none of us pay, exacting no drop of blood, no whelp upon your back, no thorn buried in your skull, But Jesus, Jesus would pay it all. So much so that the innocence that He had is now transferred to you and the sin, the shame, and the brokenness was transferred to Him. And what that means now is that you at this very moment, if you are in Him, stand before God and all that is remaining are the very smiles of heaven for you. This is what the gospel is, friends. I want you to know it. I want you to see it. I want you to believe it. It is your life. 
And I simply want to make a plea to you that this is the real forgiveness that Jesus gives. Friends, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your story is. It ain't worse than mine. And I can tell you that Jesus really forgives. And He loves His your sin moves Him to compassion. Do you know that? That's the great hope of the Gospel. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You that You give us Jesus like this. And we ask now that You would take these things and that You would put them deep, deep in our hearts that we might believe. Lord, help our unbelief. Help us to see that You really do give Your grace freely. That Your love is steadfast. That Your love love never quits. That Your grace is always greater than our sin. And I pray, Lord, that You would help my friends here in college to see and to know that. And that You would open open their eyes tonight to the mercy and the compassion that You so freely give. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You for paying our debt. For incurring it against Yourself. Thank You for... Thank You. And we lift this all up in Your name. Amen.